Uh, well, church, good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Alex. I serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, I want to open us up just in a word of prayer before we get started. Uh, so if you would, let's go to the Father together. Lord, I am so incredibly grateful for this family. Uh, Lord, I'm grateful that we get to worship you each Sunday and um, even an extra day this week as we think of uh, Christmas Eve and that we get to gather together as a family to sing to you, to hear from your word, but to ultimately look to you that you came down as an infant. You lived amongst us, walked and, and lived life with people who were just sinful and messy, and yet you were so kind and so gracious and so loving to take the cross for us. Lord, I pray this morning uh, that we would be reminded of your death and resurrection and the grace that you've given to us, and I pray that we would be reminded that it's all about you and not about us. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, when I was in college, uh, my freshman year, I had this friend whose name uh, is Mario. Uh, about second semester, Mario and I had started to become pretty close friends, and I started to notice something uh, about Mario. As I was walking around campus, I would see kind of like the flags that are on the poles and stuff, or I would be in the admissions office, and I'd see all the promotional information that they have with like the little pamphlets or the postcards that they send out to the students, perspective students, and you go on the website, and there was one common thing about it. Mario's face was everywhere. Like, the dude's picture was on absolutely everything, and I was like, how does that happen? So one time, we're kind of sitting together, and we're joking around, talking uh, about how he's on all of the promotional information that the college is putting out, and, and so I start like joking with him, and I'm like, yeah, it's probably because we go to a small private school, and you're black, and they want to make it seem like we're really diverse, and we're kind of joking back and forth about it, but then uh, I start to get really intrigued, and, and uh, we start like asking the question to one another, and I'm like, how did you do that? Like, how did you get your face on absolutely everything? Because I love being the center of attention. And I was like, that would be actually really fun. I would love to have everybody see my face everywhere I go. Uh, and so we start talking, and he starts sharing with me kind of like his, his secrets uh, about how he got on all the promotional information. And he starts telling me, he's like, so here's what I did. I, I found out who's the one who runs like the marketing. I found out who's the person who kind of heads all of that up. And I made them my best friend. And I won them over, and I made them love me. And so when they went to choose students to put on like all the promotional information, they picked me. They made a phone call to me. And so uh, he started telling me about how he kind of made it his point and his mission on campus to make sure that everybody knew who he was. And so he would shake hands with everybody and try to win them all over so that they would all know who he is and that they, he would become a big deal. So I took all of the information he's kind of given me and all these like secrets to get on all the promotional stuff. Uh, and I'm like, okay, so everything I did for like the next year was literally just shaking hands with people, making friends, winning them over. I didn't care if they were students or staff or faculty. I just needed to know if they had influence. And if they had influence, I was definitely going to try and be their best friend. And about a year later, of course, me and my buddy Mario are on the front of all the stuff. Uh, and so, it worked. I, uh, and they say woo is a manipulative strength on the strike finders. 
I don't know, maybe not. Uh, but anyway, uh, so the, the whole point with all of this, though, was that I wanted to be a big deal, right? Like, I wanted everyone to know who I was, and, and I still struggle with that sin. I still desire to be the center of attention. I desire to have all eyes on me or to be the funny one in the room, uh, and, and that's something that I struggle with, wanting to be the big deal. But the reality is, is that we all want to be the center of attention, whether you know it or not, right? Maybe you're like me, and you're more extroverted, and so you are always talking, always bouncing around ideas and make, having fun with people, or, or you're, you're constantly going and, and stopping the conversation so you, you're the one who's talking and never asking questions, or, or you start butting in and you go, oh yeah, I, I know that story, uh, something like that happened to me too, and it becomes all about you if you're an extrovert like that, right? But even for the introverts, right? Sometimes we think introverts don't really do that, but introverts do as well. Because introverts, maybe for you, it looks like you're reserving all of the energy for yourself, right? Like you're like, I'm going to hang out by myself so that I can have energy for myself. Like that's making it all about you. Or maybe you're just so mysterious with like who you are and you're kind of like, I kind of like it that people don't know who I am, right? You're making it all about you. Or, or you're very kind of like secretive with like who's in your inner circle and, and you're like, oh, these only these specific people are going to be part of my like core friend group. And the truth is that we all make it about ourselves all the time. And so what we're going to see today, why we need to listen to John chapter 1, is we're going to see that it's not about us. And in three short verses, we're going to read about a man who we often think is a very big deal, and yet he pointed us to the one who is the big deal. So open up to John chapter 1, and I'm going to read verse 6 again for us as we read uh, just about uh, this man that we think is a big deal. John chapter 1, verse 6. It says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Short, sweet, concise, ready to go. Uh, now, uh, as we've studied John chapter 1 for the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been exploring how Jesus is the light and life to the world, right? We've been exploring how Jesus is the light who has come, the Messiah who's come to bring salvation to all. But as we read this verse, we go, okay, now there's another person in the picture, and he's a man sent from God whose name is John. So what I want to do is I want to talk about this guy named John, and John the Baptist is who we're talking about. Now, it can be a little confusing here because uh, there's the Gospel of John, right? And then there's John the Baptist. And so uh, John the Baptist is not the guy who wrote the Gospel of John. There's John the disciple, the beloved, who, who comes up later in the story. But we're going to be talking about John the Baptist. So there's two Johns. We're talking about John the Baptist, not John the disciple, the beloved, the one who wrote it. Uh, but John the, uh, the Baptist is pretty interesting because as we look at his story, and if you read the four Gospels... He's the only person who's given an account at the very beginning, like of all four Gospels, with Jesus. So he's always at the beginning of Jesus' story, which is pretty neat to think about. And you go, huh, that's pretty interesting. And if you read the Gospel of Luke, right, you actually get John the Baptist's like birth narrative. 
You get his whole story of who his parents are and when he was born. And so in Luke chapter 1, we see Zechariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's parents, and we hear about how uh, they had trouble, right, having a child for years. They struggled to have a kid until the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, and he says, hey, you're going to have a kid, and he's going to be a guy who does a lot for the kingdom, right? And, and in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, Gabriel says this about John the Baptist. He says, he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and it will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's who John the Baptist is, right? He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of kind of his birth narrative, we get the story of how John the Baptist, right, became, he grew up and he became spiritually strong is what the text tells us. So this is a man that God has chosen to use, to continue to uh, use, uh, to point his people back to who he is. This is a guy that God's going to use in a big way. And also in Luke, we find out that John the Baptist is actually Jesus's cousin, because Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus, goes to visit Elizabeth and Zechariah, while also Elizabeth is pregnant. And there's this really cool interaction uh, between uh, like the two, because when Mary starts speaking, John the Baptist, while he's in the womb, like starts leaping with joy because he hears the voice of Mary, knowing that the king of the universe, the creator God, is literally in the womb right before him in the same room. So he's excited and ecstatic, even as an infant in the womb to say, oh my gosh, God is here, and God is near. And so John the Baptist has this crazy cool story. One more thing that's really consistent with John the Baptist is we get this uh, prophecy that's kind of revealed with him each time, right? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, is quoted in, in, in with the gospel accounts with John the Baptist specifically, and it says, a voice, a voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Now, this prophecy is about Elijah, right? In the Old Testament, Elijah was a prophet sent from God who continued to tell people about who he was. And, and so we see over and over again, like this waiting and longing for Elijah's return. In fact, the very last book in our Old Testament, the way that we have it arranged, is the book of Malachi. And the very last verses in the book of Malachi, in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, they talk about this prophecy that this guy Elijah, this prophet, was supposed to come back. And he, when he came back, he was making a, a straight path. He was leading to point to the Messiah that had come and returned, right? He's making this straight highway to say, look, Jesus is here. God has finally come to save his people. And lo and behold, Israel waits for years and years and years for this Elijah figure to come back. And it's John the Baptist. As we see revealed in the scripture, John the Baptist is the one who says, look, the Messiah has arrived. Jesus is here. This, the, the highway is made straight. I'm pointing you to the one, the God of the universe, who's going to save us all. This is who John was over and over again. He points to who Jesus is. And in his ministry, right, if you keep reading through it, you kind of see that dozens of people are coming to flock to hear his message. 
right? People are going out to go hear what this guy is doing, and he's proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of God is near, and he's telling people, hey, you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and then he, he tells the Pharisees, right, like the Jewish leaders, he's so bold that he just calls them broods of vipers. Like, he's just out there kind of doing these crazy things and telling people, look, the Messiah has arrived, and there's one coming who's greater than I, and I need to tell you about him. And while he's got this huge kind of following, right, people are looking towards him, he's so incredibly humble in the midst of it all. While this huge crowd is looking to him, he could have taken all of the glory to himself, right? He could have said, wow, this is kind of nice. Everybody's listening to me. They're hearing what I'm saying, what I'm doing. They're following me around. This is pretty good. But that's not what John does. He does the exact opposite. I'm absolutely floored by John the Baptist every single time that I read John chapter 3, verse 30. Because John the Baptist says, he must increase and I must decrease. And he's talking about Jesus. That Jesus must increase and he must decrease. Like, he's the guy who originally said that. Think of the humility with it. Like, I know we pray that sometimes, right? We, like, ask Jesus. I pray that in my heart sometimes. I'm like, Lord, would you please make me decrease and you increase in my life that I would see you as more glorious, more splendid, more wonderful, more amazing, that I would make you the center of my entire world, and yet I continue to not, like, live that way. And yet John is so humble to be the very first person to ever say that. And his whole ministry is pointing to that reality that he desires for Jesus to increase and for himself to decrease. Incredible humility showed by him. And as we look at John the Baptist, we start to think, man, this guy's a big deal, right? Like when you study the Bible with friends and you read John the Baptist's uh, story, you kind of go, wow, this guy did so much for the kingdom, This guy was so cool. I mean, he got to baptize Jesus. That's amazing. And we believe that he's this big deal for us, and we make him a big deal, and yet John the Baptist totally diminishes our thought of him being a big deal because he totally just completely points us always to the light of the world and always points us to Jesus. And we see that in verses 7 and 8. So let's read verses 7 and 8 about how he makes it about Jesus and not about himself. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Here's the thing about John the Baptist. I think he would absolutely hate that we talk about him the way that we do. I think he'd be floored and furious that we make him a big deal. Why? Because he's always talking about Jesus, and he's always pointing us towards Jesus himself, right? In all of his conversations, as he's pointing people to the light of the world, he's talking about being humble, being righteous, right? Looking to the light of the world, the king of the universe, the Messiah that has come, Jesus Christ. Even when we read the passage about how like John points to the light, that is his entire life right? From the moment he's like in the womb, he's excited and ecstatic that the king of the universe, the God, came down for his people to save them. 
All the way until his death, he's continuing to profess Christ and to point people towards Jesus all the time. It's what he does. It's kind of like when I'm like talking to uh, Ricky, and I'm trying to encourage him, and I'm like, man, that, you, I just love the way that you're leading us. I love all the things that you're doing, and, and I'm talking about him, and, and he's so humble. He's like, no, praise God for what he's doing, da, da, da. And, and it's kind of like annoying. I'm like, no, like, I'm trying to encourage you, and it's the same kind of thing with like John the Baptist, right? We start like thinking, oh my gosh, you're like so humble. You're so kind. You're so loving. You're, this is amazing that you're pointing us all to God. He'd be like furious about it. It's the same way as Ricky kind of walks in that same humility to say like, no, it's all about Jesus. And so it's a reminder for us to know that it's always about Jesus himself throughout John's entire ministry. It's always pointing to the light of the world, as the text tells us. We see he came to testify about the light, to bear witness to the light, to tell us who the light is, and that is Jesus himself, right? As we hear that John the Baptist is a witness, we need to come and realize that he's someone who's seen and experienced who Jesus is. He's someone who's seen and experienced who Jesus is, and that's led him to completely transform his life and make his life all about who Jesus is, right? That witness, seeing and experiencing who God is, made him continually believe that he is the God of the universe and point towards him always. In fact, when the Pharisees like come and talk to John the Baptist, they ask him who he is, and in the midst of it all, he goes, no, I'm just John. I'm just a guy, but there's one who's greater who's coming after me. There's one who's coming whose sandals I'm not even worthy to tie. That's who we should be on watch for. Can you think about that for a quick sec? Like, think of the person who maybe you've got, like, the biggest man crush or lady crush on, right? Like, think of the person who you're like, wow, they're so incredibly famous. It would be so cool to, like, meet them. And then they, like, walk into the building, and you see them, and their shoes untied, or they need help, like, bringing a bag in, or you go to open the door for them, and they stop you and go, yeah, you're not worthy to do that for me. Like the God of the universe has come and we're not worthy to get down on our knees to tie his sandals. And yet he is so incredibly kind and gracious and loving to not only just allow us to sit at his feet, but to die for us as broken, messy sinners. This is beautiful news. Like we are not worthy to tie his sandals and yet he's adopted us into the family. He hears us when we pray. He allows us to draw near. This is good news. This is a beautiful truth that we're not worthy of any of that. And yet he so graciously and so kindly allows us to draw near to him and to come to us, right? To die for us as sinful people. He still came so gracious, so kind, so loving. Jesus was so kind to sit with people who were not worthy to even be in the same room as him. That's beautiful, beautiful news. And John always makes it about him. But for us, we often make it about us, don't we? Like, it, it's, it's just the truth that we often try to make every situation about ourselves. You know, with the holiday season, it kind of uh, brings true a lot for me personally, right? Like, if you're thinking, uh, 
hey, my family, my spouse, my friends, they have to get me the perfect gift. And if they don't get me the perfect gift, it was kind of a fail, right? Like that's making it all about you. Or, or if you're thinking of celebrating uh, like the holiday with your family and maybe someone else in the family thinks it should go a little bit differently and you're agitated with them because they're not doing it the way that you should uh, that you wait, the way that you think it should be done, right? You start making it about you in the midst of all of that. Or, or you start thinking, hey, uh, we're actually going to go ahead and have Christmas together as a family. And someone in your family says, hey, I think it, we're going to stay back and we're going to distance just in the midst of the pandemic. And you're frustrated at them and you're angry at them because they're making a different decision, right? And you think, oh, it's it's all about me because I want it to go my perfect way. And if it doesn't go my perfect way, it's the wrong way. And you start getting angry at your family member. Or maybe it's the exact opposite, right? Like you're trying to distance and you're mad because your family is wanting to like have a big gathering and you're frustrated and angry at them. Like you're making it all about you in the midst of those things because you're frustrated that they're not listening to making it your way and the way that you want it to go. We did this so often, and it's not just around the holiday season, but it's an everyday life that we try to make everything about ourselves. And as we think about Christmas, friends, Christmas is not about us. Our life is not about us, right? It's all about Jesus. We have to remember that it's about the God of the universe who came down and died for us, who resurrected on the third day, who gives us life and invites us into his family, invites us to allow to sit with him and to be with him, who's so glorious and splendid and wonderful. That's who it's about. It's much more about him than it should ever be about us. And with John the Baptist, right, we read in verse 7 and 8 that he came to be a witness to the light and to testify about the light. So what is he testifying, right? What is he saying about the light of the world? What's he saying about Jesus? Well, verse 7 tells us that he testified about the light so that all might believe. So that all might believe. Like he's telling people about Jesus so that they would believe in who Jesus is. That they would come to understand that he's the Messiah who's come to save them. And his number one statement right as he proclaims this repent for the kingdom of god is here because god has come down for us and so my question for you to wrestle with today is do you believe do you believe in who jesus is and what he said do you believe that he's the god of the universe do you believe that he came and died for your sins so that you can have eternal life do you believe in who jesus is and what he said i'm We've been saying this for the last like three weeks. We've been asking the question, do you believe, right? And when we ask this question, we're not asking, hey, do you go to church? We're not asking, are you a good person? We're not asking, do you tell people that you're a Christian? I'm asking you, do you believe in who Jesus is? Do you believe in Jesus Christ himself, that he is the God of the universe who came to die for us, that he rose on the third day and offers you eternal life, free salvation to, to just sit with him for all of eternity and be with him forever, to reign and rule with him uh, as the new creation returns, right? Do you believe in who Jesus is? When we talk about belief, like we see that it leads to transformation, 
we see that there's an actual heart transformation in what God does in people's lives when they actually believe. So think about Noah with me, right? Noah in the book of Genesis, Noah in the ark. Noah's just kind of living life with his family. God speaks to him, and he says, hey, I'm going to bring a flood, and I need you to build an ark. Noah hears what God says, and he believes him, and what does that belief do? It leads to transformation, and it leads him to totally stop what he's doing and build the ark. While people are probably making fun of him, people are questioning what he's doing, why he stopped working, and why now all of a sudden he's just building this ark, his belief leads to real transformation where he stops and he says, I believe that God's going to bring a flood, and I believe what he said is true, and I believe in who he is, and so I'm going to obey. I'm going to listen to his call. I'm going to listen to what he told me to do to build this ark right? That's what belief is. It leads to transformation. Real belief leads to change in our lives. You know, for me, as I think of the moment where I truly started to believe in who Jesus was, I realized that it wasn't just about starting to tell people that I was a Christian, right? It wasn't about just saying, yeah, I kind of go to church sometimes, or I think I'm a good person. No, when I started to actually believe in who Jesus is, I realized that my life was not about me was that I'm, I, I'm not the center of attention, and I shouldn't be the center of attention, but that Jesus is saving grace. Jesus' glory and honor deserves so much more, and I started to understand that I should not live a selfish life, but live a life that's pleasing and honorable to him, and I should submit to who he is, and understanding the fact that he came and died for me, that he paid the price for my sin. I had a true understanding, a true revelation of just seeing that God came for someone who did not deserve it, And out of that, I responded to what he did for me. Do you believe? Have you responded to what Jesus has done for you? That's the question I'm asking you today. Do you believe? Has your belief in Jesus totally transformed your life to lead to change, to understand, man, God came for me. He died for me in the midst of all the sin that I've done. While I'm not worthy to even tie his sandal, he still came. Do you believe that truth? Not just are you a good person. Not just do you come to church. Not not like working hard for your salvation, but do you believe that the God of the universe came for you? Friends, if you have not made the decision to walk with Jesus, if you have not trusted in Christ, If you have not believed in that truth, would you do that today? Would you come to see the beautiful glory of who Jesus is? That God himself came down as an infant and lived life with us and then died for us and rose on the third day and joyfully invites us into his family. Would you believe that truth today? And for the Christian in the room, for those of us who have trusted in Christ before, what area of your life Are you making more about you than you are about Jesus? What area are you centering yourself on and saying it's all about me rather than it's all about Jesus? Maybe maybe it's uh, a marriage, right? And and your marriage has to go exactly how you want it to go. And, And if it doesn't go your way, everything.
thing totally crumbles and shuts down and you're angry and mad at your spouse, right? Maybe it's your job where you start thinking, okay, my job is going to be the center of my life, and so I'm going to spend every moment thinking about it or working so incredibly hard or making sure that everything goes my way, and the minute that somebody else messes up, like you get extremely frustrated and angry at it because it's not uh, your way uh, that you exactly wanted, right? There's all these different areas that we start thinking, hey, it's all about me, so what is it for you? Where do you need to hear John's call and saying, it's not about me, it's all about Jesus? This is the good news that we listen to, right? Like it doesn't sound like good news because we want it to be all about us. We want everything to go our way, and when someone else thinks differently or walks differently or or makes a different decision than we would, we get frustrated and annoyed and angry because we want it to be all about us and we want it to be our way. But the truth is, if everything was our way, if every aspect of your life centered around you specifically, you would let other people down. Like, if your marriage was all about you, you would totally let your spouse down, and they would probably be extremely bitter towards you. If your job was all about you and your success was all about you, like, it would get to the point to where you'd probably let coworkers down, you'd disappoint them or hurt them in some sort of way, or maybe you don't get the promotion, and you're extremely bitter and angry at everybody else in the company because you made it all about you. Friends, we were never meant to carry the weight of everything being about us. We could not sustain that sort of life because we all have shortcomings, and Jesus doesn't. Jesus does not have shortcomings, and yet we do. Friends, we aren't big enough to be the object and the center of our lives. We're just not. And so to make our lives not about us, we need to have something or someone who's much greater, who's more glorious, who deserves all of that to be the center of our lives. Otherwise, we'll just make it about us. And that someone is Jesus himself. John didn't just live like this humble lifestyle just to live it, right? He didn't just like walk around baptizing people just to get all of the attention. He did it all to say, man, God himself came. And as you think about the Christmas season this year, as you think about time with family, as you think about taking a break, maybe a couple of days from work, remember that the God of the universe came as an infant to die for each and every single one of us. And that's a glorious thing that we get to sit with and to remember it's all about him all about him. And so we get to point to Jesus and see he is much bigger than we are. And it's all about him. We know that John was not the light because he clearly told us. And we know that Jesus is the light because he's the God of the universe who came for us as wicked, broken, sinful people, and yet desires to invite us into relationship. And there's this one moment where we maybe really, really relate with John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, because in that story, John's in jail, and there's this moment of doubt where it starts to come over him, and he's just like, I'm not sure if Jesus is who he says he is. And so he sends his disciples, right, his followers, his friends, he says, go to Jesus 
and ask him if he's actually the Messiah. And so they get to Jesus and they go, hey, our John's in jail and he's wondering, are you actually the guy that you say you are? And Jesus affirms it in that moment. He says, yeah, I am. But Jesus also goes on to kind of brag about John the Baptist and who he is. And he says some pretty cool things about him in that moment in Matthew chapter 11. And I want to read what Jesus says about John the Baptist. He says, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. No one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus himself tells us that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Like Jesus is saying, the one who has the least to offer the kingdom of God is much greater than John the Baptist, the guy who baptized Jesus himself and paved the way. That person does more for the kingdom of God than John the Baptist did. This is absolutely crazy. So he's saying the person on the bottom, like the person who does the least for the kingdom of God, much greater than John the Baptist. So friends, if you start thinking and you start believing, hey, I don't feel really equipped to to do anything with this Christian life, right? If you start thinking, I don't know enough to share uh, share about Jesus with all of my friends. If you start thinking you don't have the right answers, you don't know your Bible enough. uh, If you think that you don't have leadership skills or gifts that God has given you, and you start thinking, I can't do anything for the kingdom of God, and you believe that God doesn't want to use you, I want to tell you, friend, that you are still much greater than John the Baptist. If Jesus has saved and redeemed you, like this is the truth that Jesus himself tells us that we will be equipped and encouraged and pointed forward and that we will be much greater than than John the Baptist, even if you are the one who's on the bottom. Like Jesus desires to use us and point us forward to who he is. He desires to use us for the kingdom. How? How? Why? Like, that just seems radical that this guy, John the Baptist, did all this stuff, and yet we, us, like, will do much more for the kingdom because God sent his spirit to dwell with us. God sent his spirit to be with us, to encourage us, to equip us, to continue to convict us and move us towards uh, just a beautiful relationship with the God of the universe, right? And Jesus himself tells us in John 14, verse 12, he says that you will do greater works than me. Like we, us, will continue to do great works for the kingdom. That is absolutely radical. So think of it this way. A pastor says this. He says, if you had to choose between having Jesus himself as your pastor, sounds pretty good, right? Jesus himself as your pastor, or spirit-filled believers, if you understood the power of the spirit, you would choose that every time. It was better for Christ to go and to give us his spirit than for him to stay. And we will do much greater work for the kingdom of God than John the Baptist. 
Believe the truth that God wants to use you. If you think that you don't know enough, if you think that God doesn't want to use you, if you think that you feel like you don't have all the right answers or whatever it is, do not be deceived. Do not believe that lie because God himself tells us in his word that you will do great works for him because he's given you his spirit to dwell with you. What makes you capable of extraordinary things is not the extraordinary gifts that you might or might not have, but it's the extraordinary willingness to be used by God. I'm going to read this quote again. It says, what makes you capable of extraordinary things is not extraordinary gifts that you might or might not have, but extraordinary willingness to be used by God. As we think of John the Baptist's example, man, I want to challenge us to think, do we believe that? Like, are we willing to be used by God? Do we believe that he's going to use us because he's given us his spirit? I want to give us a challenge as we think of John the Baptist over these next several days, right, with the holiday season coming up. Some of you guys may be seeing some family or friends or neighbors, coworkers, whoever it is. I want to challenge you during these next couple of days to look to John the Baptist as an example for us to testify about the light. And so I want to ask you first off to believe this truth. That God's Spirit dwells within you and that He desires to use you. I want you to pray and ask God to let that ring true in your heart that you would believe that God desires to use you. I want you to pray and ask the Lord to go before you as you think about different people that you might see over these next couple of days that he would open doors for conversations. I want you to pray that he would give you courage to actually have conversations about Jesus, that you would talk about what the Lord's doing in your life or, or share what Jesus has continually done or what he's, uh, how he saved you and redeemed you. And then finally, I want you to actually talk to people about Jesus to actually share Christ with others, right? John the Baptist testifies about the light so that they might believe. Would you testify about the light so that they might believe? Christmas is the perfect season, right? Ricky kind of talked about it. The easiest thing that we can do as we go from now until uh, Thursday is, is start thinking, man, how can I ask someone about Christ as the Christmas season comes up? Well, it's as simple as asking the question, does your family do anything for Christmas Eve? You guys have any cool rituals that you guys kind of do for Christmas Eve or traditions that you do? And you could ask, well, do you guys go to church? Would you come with us? It's a simple invitation to have them see about the light. And I want to challenge you, do not testify about some pastor's Don't testify about some church name or some worship team, but testify about Jesus in the midst of that. Because we can easily get tangled up and saying like, oh, you should come to my church. It's like awesome, like if you you think that about us. Or you can start saying, oh, like I love our worship team so much. You should come, like it'll be fun if you hear like the good music. No, I want to challenge you to actually testify about Jesus. Not about me, not about some building, not about some band, not about some decorations, but about Christ himself. Because it's all about him and not about us. Would you actually testify about Jesus? Would you ask the Lord to go before you uh, as you think of this Christmas season and this holiday season to talk about Jesus? 
And Ricky uh, talked about like our hope for 2021, a vision that we're kind of looking to see and asking Jesus, would you do this in 2021? And one of the things that we talked about with that is asking ourselves the question, who is your one? Who is your one? As you've been praying and thinking about who's the one person that you want to see God do something in their life so that they might believe, right? Maybe you're going to see them in the next couple of days. Would you continue to follow that example to be a witness as you've seen and experienced what Jesus has done? Would you testify about the light and, and ask the Lord to go before you to save them? Friends, salvation belongs to our God. May we be faithful to point people to the light, to Jesus himself. Let's pray that we would not make it about us, but make it all about him. Father, I thank you um, that we get to gather and that we get to worship you, Lord. Lord, I pray that over these next few days that we would sit in the truth and encouragement that it's not about us, and that's good news because it's all about you. And it is much more glorious that we get to point people to you than point people to ourselves because we're going to let people down. We would fail. We would continue to uh, make it more about us and other people. So, Lord, I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts to have you on the forefront of our lips and to care for people as you did, but to always point people towards you, the light of the world who has come. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.